0: I want to say good morning. I want to say thank you to Michael for a great update. Um, this is very encouraging stuff. Uh, we moved here with a vision seven years ago, so, well, seven and a half years ago, to see a movement of church planting happen. And I feel like the Lord has answered those prayers, is answering, and God willing will continue to answer. So just Michael standing up here, giving that update. Man, that's evidence of God's grace among us. So, um, yeah, just really thankful for that. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Matthew chapter 1. We're taking a break from our Exodus series to focus on Christmas for a couple weeks. Uh, this week and then next week. You'll hear about this at the end of the service, but no Sunday morning service, just 4 and 6 o'clock next week. Um, and so um, I'm going to invite Linda to come up, and she's going to read Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 21. Now the birth of Jesus Christ... For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word that shapes us, that aligns us, that focuses us. Um, May your word truly be our rock, and may we want to build our house on the rock Not on the sand. We feel vulnerable without your word. And so, in light of the storms that come, in light of the challenges that we face, in light of the temptations that we have, Lord, may we desire and may you help us by the power of your spirit to build our house on the rock that is you and your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, it's Christmas time. And oftentimes, sadly, there is a lot of family drama at Christmas, right? For many of us, getting together with family, extended family, can can be a source of tension. It can bring that knot in your stomach, that kind of sense of dread sometimes. Like, I don't know what's going to go down here. There's precedent for this to be messy. And we're just kind of stepping into the unknown, right? There's maybe, you know issues lurking under the surface that don't get talked about, that maybe there's that sense of eggshells that we're walking on, just hoping not to break. And and sadly for some of us, we feel like we kind of have to gut it out until it would be polite to say goodbye. My, my hope for those of us, my family included, uh, who are followers of Jesus here in the Vine family, um, that we can just attempt to be agents of peace And reconciliation in this time right now as we connect with family. To the degree that we're able, sometimes there's things out of our control. And that's oftentimes the case. But to the degree that we do have some power to enact change, man, may may that be who we are. May that be what we're about. God, give us the grace to do that. So most of us, though, sadly, as I talk to Peers, and as I grow older and have more conversations with families, most of us know what family drama is like at Christmas time. And, and here's the deal the Christmas story that we just heard in Matthew 1 can relate to that. Mary and Joseph can relate to that. So, did you know that the Christmas story that we celebrate every year? year after year after year, is steeped in family drama. Right off the bat. Now, there's a lot of sentimentality wrapped up in Christmas, right? But when you, when you peel back the layers of what the Bible reveals, it was certainly the best news in the world, but it was not exactly comfortable for many of those people involved in this best news in the world. You with me? So let me explain what I mean. This is one of those opportunities that we have in reading our Bible to practice reading the Bible in healthy and helpful ways. Now, many of you have heard me say this before, but let's just review it again. One of the best ways to read your Bible, such that it's not just for information, but it's for transformation, right? Right? Very important distinction. We're not just shooting for information. We're we're shooting for transformation. That's how we want to think about reading our Bible. So one of the best ways to do that so that it sinks deep in your heart is real simple. Number one, we need to slow down. Okay? We need to slow down. Now, let me back up. First, a lot of us just need to have a plan to actually read our Bible. Okay? And not that we're, like, trying to score points with Jesus. That's not how the gospel works. But if you have been saved by Jesus, you're gonna wanna spend time with him. And how do you spend time with him? You spend time with him in his word that he's revealed. You wanna get to know someone, get to know who they are, who they've revealed themselves to be. And the way we do that is through the Bible. So it's not like you're scoring points. By, oh, I, I had a good, quiet time today, and now Jesus likes me a little more. Now he sees me as, as worthy to be saved. No, 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 that's works-based salvation. We don't go near that. That's heretical. But if you understand the gospel, you want to you hang out with your Savior. Some of you need to remember that I, I need to hang out with my Savior. And so I'm just saying, like, New Year's resolution's coming. That's great. But forget New Year's resolutions. Let's just be these kind of people that read our Bible. You need to have a plan. Some of you are spiritually anemic. Some of you are spiritually starving and you don't even know it. Because Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, Matthew 4.4. And so what that means is if you want to be full, if you want to be healthy, if you don't have this in your brain and in your heart, you're going to be weak. And we don't want that for you. Okay? So... Tangent over, back to my script here, okay? Um, Assuming we are reading our Bible, here's how we want to read our Bible. We want to slow down and not just like get through it as fast as I can. Okay, on with the day. Now, slowing down might mean it's only 15 minutes, but in those 15 minutes, I'm going to slow down, number one. Number two, I'm going to think about what I'm reading. So again, it's not just on with the day. Check the box, boom, good. Now, we're going to slow down. I'm going to try to think about what's here. And in my thinking, thirdly, I want to imagine myself in the scene. So, so this can be kind of fun, right? Like, I want to imagine myself in whatever is being described here. The details. Climb, I, I say it all the time. Climb into the world of the Bible. Try to engage your five senses. What would it feel like? What would it smell like? What would it look like? How would these people have felt Oftentimes we don't get raw emotions, but these are human beings here. They had emotions just like we do. So we, we, need, we need to extrapolate a little bit. Now don't get crazy and de- delve into too much speculation, but don't miss the emotions and feelings that would accompany a situation that's being described in a text. So we got to slow down, we got to think about it, and we have to imagine ourselves, catapult ourselves into that world. So this text that, we, that we're reading this morning, it's kind of matter-of-fact, but it's got some serious drama in it. So look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, meaning they were engaged, probably some type of arranged marriage, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the holy spirit. So you got this marriage agreement in place. Mary's given in marriage to Joseph, but what does it say? It says, quote, before they came together, right? Before they came together. What that means is they had not had any intimate relations yet. Okay? That's what that means. So you've got an engaged couple, Mary and Joseph, but here's the problem. She's pregnant. That's a big deal in light of what this text says. So, again, catapult yourself into the scenario. What would you be thinking if you were Joseph? Well, Joseph's thinking that Mary's sleeping around, right? Mary's sleeping around. Christmas is ushered in under the assumption of sexual sin. That's how all this begins. That's the big news that we're going to read about in a second. It all begins right here. So you got serious family drama right off the bat. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details about how this was navigated. But you can imagine that many people assume the worst about Mary. Like, put yourself in her shoes. She's not in a comfortable position. She's not in a comfortable spot. Her being used by God in amazing ways was probably not the pathway of most comfort. Think about it. Being pregnant, number one, especially in the world 2,000 years ago, I mean, being pregnant is hard enough, right? But then you just have to have everyone assume that you're sleeping around and being unfaithful to your fiancé. That must have been hard for Mary to bear, right? And it's not like she could sit people down and be like, okay, look, here's the deal. I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Like, that's not an easy conversation to have, is it? Being pregnant by the will of God alone is a bit unprecedented in the history of the world, is it not? So Joseph, along with everyone else, assumed that she had just sinned against him. Now, we don't know much about Joseph from the Bible, Jesus' adopted father, but the Bible does give us a glimpse into his character here. Look at verse 19. And, and, and her, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Quietly. All right, so the Bible says here that he was a just man. Another translation could be a righteous man. Now, that does not mean that he was sinless. It's similar to like how the Bible talks about Job. He says Job was blameless. That doesn't mean sinless. What that means is you don't have anything you could launch against him in a public accusation. There's nothing that he was hiding, right? He wanted to do what was right. And he had a reputation for doing what was right, right? This doesn't talk about the inner recesses of the heart. This is more of an outward description, okay? He's got nothing to hide, okay? He's just. He's righteous. And so he wanted to do what was right. And in their cultural scenario, in a situation like this, there were laws that governed how you handled a situation like this. The law stated that it was very easy for a man to divorce his wife, For just about any reason. Now that wasn't necessarily good, it was just the way way the law was. And there was also a forum for this to take place in a more public and legal way. And legally that would have been justice. Joseph was a just man at that time. Well, the Bible also says here that he's a man of mercy. He didn't want to, what does it say? He didn't want to put her to shame. He didn't want to shame her any more than she probably already endured, right? So what's it say? It says he's going to divorce her quietly. Well, what does that mean? It means he's probably just going to dismiss all the legal, traditional routes that you would go and just make an agreement between the two of them. Kind of like an out-of-court out of settlement, Okay? There would be a divorce. There would be a breaking of the arrangement, but it would be quiet, right? So we see something here of Joseph's character. He isn't vengeful, though he probably felt betrayed. He isn't looking to pile on. He's a man of godly character. All right, so what happens next? Well, something supernatural probably needs to happen, right? For Joseph to be convinced to do something different, to have a different plan. To move forward into the future with a different way of doing things. And like we've already established, it would have been very, very hard for Mary to just sit Joseph down, or anyone else for that matter, try to explain what had happened to her. So, God has a sit down with Joseph. Okay, look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, have no fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So he receives this news that all this is from God. This whole family drama that's been going down initiated by the Lord. And he loves and reveres God and plus he gets more information about this plan that he's going to participate in so this must put yourself in the shoes again imagine how humbling and shocking that would have been like wow all of a sudden i learn that this messiah that all the old testament is waiting for all the people that have preceded me and i'm kind of like front and center on that plan coming to pass that would have been so humbling like why me lord Just like like Moses, like we've been reading about in Exodus. God shows up, just picks him, doesn't say why, just picks him. Sovereign choice, sovereign love, you're the guy, Moses. Sovereign choice, sovereign love, Joseph, you're the guy. I'm going to use you to be front and center in this plan. Shocking, humbling. But he gets a little more info now, doesn't he? Look at verse 21. We're going to spend the rest of our time thinking about verse 21. He says to Joseph, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus why for he will save his people from their sins you shall call his name Jesus you don't get a name the baby Joseph the emphasis here Is on the command to name baby Jesus. But what's specific about that? What's the function of this name? What is he born to do? Well, we learn here that his primary reason for coming is to do what? To, what's the verb? To save. The primary reason for Jesus' coming is what? To save. Save. See it? You put a lot of verbs in there, but this one is intentional. It's to save. See, see, the name Jesus comes from the Hebrew Yeshua, which means Yahweh is salvation, or the Lord saves. Now, in our world today, we, we labor sometimes long and hard over baby names, do we Not? Well, some of us do. Our, our neighbors uh, had their baby recently, and that baby was nameless for about 24, 48 hours because they just couldn't agree on a name. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. Um, so you had the nameless baby. Just baby. Oh, what's his name? Baby. We're still, we're still discussing these things. A bit of procrastinators. and so, But typically, on the other side of the spectrum, you've got people that labor long and hard over websites baby names, right? Uh, You've got all these books with baby names. And like the worst thing in the world is for you to like spend hours and hours and hours on baby names. And people be like, that doesn't sound good. Like, oh, it's crushing, right? Like, why would you name them that? Like the insensitive grammar or whatever? That sounds weird. Um, I've been in that place. But anyway, uh, But, like, we spend hours and hours, right? Does it have a nice ring? Does it, does it, how's it going to look? Does it look good in lights, right? Because my perfect little snowflake, of course, will look good in lights. Uh, So when we, but when we name our babies, we don't usually have the name tied to some life plan or life wish for them, do we? That's really not how we do it in our culture. And, And that would be hard to do because we don't know what this, Baby will grow up to do. We don't know what their life plan will be. But here's the deal in our text for today God does. And when God names someone, he always has purpose in naming. And Joseph receives that information here, does he not? Jesus' purpose is laid out right from the beginning. He didn't didn't come from military overthrow. He didn't come to usher in a coup. He didn't come to make people wealthy. He didn't come to rid the world immediately of war and disease and poverty and pain. He came to address immediately the main problem that faces us all we got a lot of problems in our world. you got a lot of problems in your life. But the Bible says you have one main problem. You've been sinned against, yes. All of us have. We've all been sinned against greatly to one degree or another. But the Bible says that our main problem is sin. Our main problem is sin. Consider this quote. It is ever God, God alone, who in and through his Son saves his people. While some trust in chariots and some in horses, in physical strength, knowledge, reputation, prestige, position, magnificent and impressive machinery, influential friends, and intrepid generals, none of these, whether operating singly or in conjunction with all others, is able to deliver man from his chief enemy, The foe that is little by little destroying his very heart, namely sin. Or as here, sins, like it says in our text, sins. Those of thought, word, and deed, of omission, commission, and inner disposition. All those various ways in which man, quote, misses the mark, which is God's glory. It takes no less than the atoning death of Jesus and the sanctifying power of his spirit To cleanse hearts and lives. So, again, we we got lots of problems of many sorts, lots of ways that suffering has, has tragically been imposed upon us by others or just by living in a fallen world. But the Bible claims that the main problem that is of eternal significance is our problem of sin. And that's not a problem we can figure out on our own. See, if we take the Bible really seriously, which I, which I hope we do this morning, Christmas is not about shopping and lights, though those things are good. The main message of Christmas is human beings being in a very, very dangerous situation. It's kind of like the time a few months ago when my daughter Autumn and I were swimming We decided to swim across a lake. And it would have been really wise to wear life jackets. Imagine that, right? But who needs life jackets, right? That's for weaklings. We're strong swimmers. We're good, right? So off we went, just swimming across the lake. And we get out to the middle of this lake. It's probably about a 150-meter swim. And Autumn looks at me and says, Daddy, I don't think I can do this. And I'm thinking in my mind, oh, oh we're doing this. <laughs> like, we're doing this. But internally, that that freaked me out a good bit. And, and I coached her through it, and it was fine. But for a few moments, there was a really scary and potentially very dangerous situation we were in. We could have easily needed to have been what? What's the word? Rescued or saved. That's right. So when you read this text at Christmas time, don't, don't, don't let your eyes glaze over and be like, yeah, yeah, I've heard this a thousand times. He came to save me from my sins. Whatever. Blah blah blah. On with the Christmas and the eggnog, right? Jesus came to save. See, the way you can be awakened to love this news afresh is if you envision this in your mind. Jesus came to save, meaning it's kind of like someone in the middle of a really deep lake with no life preserver and feeling their strength slipping away. That's what it's like. That's the kind of situation Jesus enters into. That's the picture of all all of us, spiritually speaking, without surrendering our love and trust to Jesus and letting him define reality for us and letting him lead the way in terms of the pursuit of happiness. It's drowning. Jesus didn't come at Christmas because he just wanted to usher in some good old-fashioned holiday cheer. Jesus broke on the scene in our world in real history because there was a very, very serious situation, the most eternally serious situation in all the world, and that's why he came. Jesus came to save. Now imagine Autumn and I were out there in the middle of the lake and things got really bad in a hurry, and we actually started to drown. And then right out of the corner of my eye, I see my family float over to us in two kayaks. Now imagine the relief as you put your hand on something solid when before it was just chaos as there's nothing solid. And and they drag us back to safety on the shore. See, that's Christmas. That's the promise of baby Jesus. That is why he's named Jesus here in verse 20 and 21. He didn't come to turn the other way as people are drowning. He came to dive in the water and do anything all the way to allowing himself to drown so that we could breathe. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save. So let me be as clear as I can as we, so that that we can be reminded of, of this anew this morning, afresh this morning. Christianity, if anything, is for people who know they need saving. Did you hear that? Christianity, if it's anything, is for people. If this verse is true and it is, it's for people who know they need saving. You want to know if Christianity is for you? Maybe you're debating this morning. The first thing to to, to come to terms with is answer this question: Do I need saving? Have I hit the ceiling of my limit in, in trying to save myself? Am I a mess? I can't handle it on my own. Christianity is for those that think realistically and honestly about the situation they're in. They let the Bible define the situation they're in. And it's not just this knowledge in their head, like, yeah, I acknowledge intellectually that I am a sinner and I need saving. But it's an openness of the hearts and the ears willing to listen. That's why Jesus said all the time, if you got ears, listen up. I'm about to say something really true. Truly, truly, I say to you, You got ears to hear? Not just like, yeah, the sounds pass through my ear and then they're gone. No, no, no. They pass through my ear and they sink deep into my heart. That's that's the kind of listening that Jesus is talking about. It's a submitted listening. It's like, I can't do this on my own. I need somebody external to me to help me. It's recognizing that your way of doing things is not working. And you need to listen to and submit to someone outside yourself to make it work. That's Christmas time Christianity. Jesus came to save those kind of people. So let me close with this let's go full circle in terms of how we started with the discussion about family drama, right? If if this is the truth about Christianity at Christmas time and it is, and if we're people who know this Christmas truth and love this Christmas truth, shouldn't we be two things, the most humble and the most thankful people in all the world? Have any of you ever experienced the thought, maybe for a flash, flash of a second or two, that you might drown? I have when I was little. My older sister, she was a psycho, and she held me under the water. And, you know, she wasn't going to kill me, but she scared me. And uh, I was, you know, at that stage where I wasn't strong enough. You know, I was little and she was older. And it was not fun. I remember that to this day. I was scared for those brief second or two. Now, if you face that kind of scenario, and, and, and maybe it was a different scenario for you or whatever, and uh, like recently f- for me, we were at a pool party and my, um, at, with my sister, in fact, and, uh, and uh, I didn't feel threatened at this stage, but um, we were at a pool party with her, and uh, she had um, some friends that were with her kids, and the little girl, like there's just a lot of people jumping around, and no one's really paying attention. And this little girl of about four or five just steps into the pool, and I didn't see her step in. No one else did, but all of a sudden, I look down, and she's just underwater. And it's like, boom, immediately, boom, I'm in, and out you come, right? Like, you don't even think, you just act. But, like, I had an iron grip on her, and you're coming out of the water, or else you're going to die, right? Maybe you felt like that. Have you ever felt the iron grip of your dad? pull you out. Maybe it's a maybe it's a coast guard situation. Maybe it's a lifeguard situation. But again, imagine that scenario if you have never been in that scenario. What emotion would come over you as you feel that grip? Nope, you're out of the water. What's the emotion when you see the lights of the coast guard boat? Thank you. Thank you for saving me, right You don't get into the Coast Guard boat or get on the, the side of the pool and start bragging about your abilities, right? That's the opposite. Like that, that's arrogance, but arrogance has no place in this scenario, does it? When you are saved by someone's power outside of yourself? You say... Wow, man, I was really at the end of myself out there. I touched the end of my human abilities, and it was not fun. It was really, really dangerous, really, really scary. I saw how easy it would have been for me to die out there. So you're humbled, right? And then you look to your dad, you look to the lifeguard, you look to whoever, your mom, coast guard, whoever saved you, and you say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Is that not the overriding emotion? I'm humbled because I was at the end of myself. I saw that I'm not superhuman, and I can die. I'm I'm fragile. I'm weak. Put me in the right scenario. I'm fragile. I'm weak. So I'm humbled, and I'm so thankful. So if this verse is true, and it is, that's the scenario that we find ourselves in at Christmas time. We want to be the most humble and thankful people in the world because this is true. As we enter into potential family drama or any other kind of challenging relational scenario, may we truly see that Christmas is all about this and then we live in light of it. People who know that Jesus came to save and receive him as Savior are the most humble and thankful people in the world. That's who we are if you're a Christian. If you're in Christ this morning, if you're in Christ this morning, that's who we are. So let's just continue to be who we are from this day forward and forevermore. And, and let me say this. If that's not who you are this morning, and you've not received Jesus as your Savior, who He's declared himself to be for you at Christmas, if you're willing to receive him, you can do that today. I'll be down front. would love to talk to you. Talk to someone who you came with this morning. Or maybe just someone sitting next to you. Today, this day can be the day of Christmas salvation. That's why Jesus came. He came to save. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this news. We thank you for what it means. We thank you for the implications of it in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would um, hear it for the first time or for the thousandth time. And may there be rejoicing for the first time or rejoicing anew. Um, with profound joy this morning in light of the situation we're in and the reason why you came. May that be our overriding emotion, um, humility, and thankfulness at this Christmas time. In Jesus' name, amen.